Hallelujah. Last, um, last Sunday, I was going to preach this message, and God saw fit to just begin to move through this service. We just kind of let the preaching uh, sort of take a back seat, and we let God minister around this front. And so tonight, I'm going to preach to you what I was going to preach last Sunday. But we, we saw that in action last Sunday. Now let's talk about what really happened. Book of Acts chapter 17 and verse 28. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of one of your poets have said, we are also his offspring. Now this was Paul up on Mars Hill. This was Paul talking to a bunch of, of, of pagan Gentiles, Greeks that, that didn't have a clue about the one true God. They worshipped everything they could find and, and put their hands on. And Paul is walking up there and he, he, he sees this, this inscription on the bottom of some statue that says to the unknown God. And Paul said, let me tell you who this unknown God is. And Paul begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he goes and he makes this statement. It's where I want to spring from. For in him we live and we move. And we have our being. And I want to preach you very simply. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. I am in Christ and Christ is in me. Why don't you bow your heads and ask the Lord to let his word be alive to you right now. Father, we thank you today and we bless your name. And I'm praying that once again as we delve into your word, you would let it be real to us. Lord, don't let it be some archaic book. Don't let it be just a historical book or even a theological book. Lord, you said your word is alive, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce into the innermost parts of our being, and it's able to show us where we need to change. It's able to show us where we've gone wrong. Your convicting power is here in a mighty way, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Man, as you're seated, let me take some time, as I did kind of this morning, I, I want to take some time to do a little teaching, and then we'll get to a little preaching, and then we'll see where that all ends up, and we'll let God move when he sees fit. In I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. One of the best ways to understand that saying is to look at the book of John chapter 15. Jesus is giving an expose and John says this, or John records of Jesus saying this. Jesus said, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch that is in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that it might bring forth more fruit. This verse here in the Bible is talking about a very common thing when it comes to agriculture and that is pruning, that is grafting, that is, is doing that. If you have a tree that, that is a fruit tree that's going to produce some sort of a fruit and, and you walk out in the middle of the summer and there's not one green leaf on that branch, that branch is diseased or dead. And the natural thing is, let me cut that branch off and let me, you know, first off, it's ugly. Number two, it's not doing anything. Let me cut that branch off, and then it's great for, for putting in the firewood, or you can, if it's a, a fruit tree, you can make some, you know, throw it in your smoker, and it'll give you a good aroma of your smoke, and you can get some good, you know, pork steaks or something out of that, but it's not good to produce any fruit. If you've got a, a good fruit tree, and it's got a bunch of branches, and there's one branch that never has any fruit on it, it might be alive, but it never has any fruit. What un, what's happening is that branch is getting sap from the tree. It's, it's getting nourishment from the tree, but it's not producing. And so, 
cut it, prune it. We don't, we don't want to just waste the life-giving force of that tree on branches that are never going to do anything. That's what pruning is. If you prune right, and I, you'd have to ask my dad about the proper way of pruning. He's the green thumb in that. But th- there's a proper way and a right way and a right time to prune a tree. But if you do it right, even though you took stuff away from that tree, next year it will produce more fruit than the year before. And Jesus said, I am the true vine. Another translation said, I am the trunk of the tree. So you can decide how you want to look at that. Of course, Jesus was looking at a, at a, at a, a grape vine that would have been very common in those days. I am the true vine. And then it says this, it says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you, and as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abides in the vine, no more can you except you abide in me. For I am the vine, Jesus said, and you are the branches, and he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Without me you can do nothing. Now, Romans gives us another side of that, so just give me a chance just to hit on this real quick, and then we'll go a little further. But Romans gives us another. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11, verse 16, For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, with them you partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Now, before I get into the... The, the meat of the sermon, let me just remind you that you and I had no business being in the presence of God. We are Gentiles. I don't know any Jews here. Maybe somebody here is of the Jewish lineage. And if you are, then, then, then you can claim something a little bit differently. You're part of what, what the Bible talks God's chosen people. But I would say all of us, if not the majority of us, we're just nothing but Gentiles. We're the cast-offs. We're the forgotten ones, so to speak. If the Old Testament was all about the history of the Jewish nation for the most part, the New Testament tells us this, that if you're going to leave the presence of God, if you're not going to listen to God, Jews, if you're not going to respond to the drawing of God, God says, I have a way of going and picking up the unwanted and placing them in that place. And so what it was, if you can imagine this olive tree, this olive tree, the trunk, that's God, that's Jesus. And those branches, that's the Jews. Well, there were some of them that said, we don't want to be a part of that. We, we don't believe in that. And so those branches, they were removed. Some of them left willingly. Others, God said, I'm going to set you aside for a while. But what he did with you and I is God reached out. The Bible calls us a wild olive tree. Wild olive. Let me, so, so we have some property and on it are wild plum trees. Now, how many of you have eaten a nice plum that you bought from the store or from the produce market? You know, they're usually a little bit smaller than a baseball, and they're, they're juicy, and they're sweet. But we have on a property, we have wild plum trees. They're only about the size of your thumb. And every once in a while, if you catch them just right, they'll be enough where you can, you can eat them and not make a funny face. Now, Sister Harpo, they make great jellies, and we do a lot in making jellies and jams. But they are wild. They've not been cultivated. The plums you get is because somebody took some time. They, they, they found trees that produce bigger fruit. They found trees that produce sweeter fruit, and they crossbred them. And, and what you're eating today is something that someone has taken time to cultivate. And God said we were a bunch of wild olive trees good for nothing. 
But he picked us up and he said, because you so desperately want to be connected, I will take your wild olive branch and I will graft it into myself, the trunk, and I will give you the same life-giving force that the Jewish nation had the ability to have. Because here's the thing. It, it really, uh, uh, horticulture is an amazing thing. You can graft something in and it will grow. I've told stories, I've preached a lot of messages. In fact, about four months ago, I preached about the grafting process and especially as it comes to, to, to grapes and all of that. But here's the thing. If you will get connected to the trunk, all of that sap and nourishment and, and protection is yours. Can I ask you just a question? Why wouldn't you want that? If I go right now to a tree and I cut a branch off and I throw it on the ground, that branch might stay green for a while. If it's wet enough, it may even live for a little bit. But the future of that branch is bleak. It's going to die. If branches could talk, they would be saying, would you please connect me back to the trunk? Would you please connect me back to the source? But no, you have been cast aside. Why do you think that branch, do you think that branch really wants to stay in the position it's at? Absolutely not. That branch could talk. You'd say, I'd do anything to get connected back to that trunk. Why in the world would you not want to be connected to Jesus Christ? And he said, you can be. You can be grafted in. And he said, if you're grafted in, it doesn't matter if you're a wild olive branch. If you're grafted in, then you will be able to partake of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. You will be in Christ. Now, I, I know sometimes I repeat myself. Sometimes I do it on purpose. Other times it's just because I forget. My future ain't looking very bright. If I'm forgetting now, Brother Farino, it's going to be awful when I am your age. I won't even be able to stand up and preach. That's, brother, brother Sponsor says that a lot. I ask Brother Sponsor how it is. And he'll look at me and he'll say, don't get old, Brother Buford. But, but watch this. Grafting is a process where you take a branch and you whittle off the dead splintered ends, and then you, 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 you there's certain different ways, but let me just tell you the, a simple way. You drill a hole into the tree, and you insert that branch into the tree, and you kind of make sure it doesn't move, and that tree will, will connect with that branch, and that branch will live. Just so everybody understands a very simplistic grafting process. Everybody got me? That branch is in... That tree. Does everybody get that? Just, just nod with me for a moment. Let me, let me, let me, I want to make sure everybody's on the same page and then we'll take off running. That branch is in the tree. But when that branch is in the tree, Brother Norm, you know what's in the branch? Some sap. Sap that that branch didn't have before it got connected in the tree. The branch may be in the tree, but inside of that branch is sap flowing and nourishment flowing and life-giving force flowing. And I can tell you right now, I am in Christ, but oh, Christ is in me. The Bible says that when we were buried with him in the waters of baptism, that when you went down in the water in Jesus' name, there was a spiritual grafting process you went into the water but all oh, that living water that Jesus spoke of is now able to be inside of you would you let me just tell you what you get when you are in Christ 
And this is by no means an exhaustive list. But let me tell you what you get when you are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore if any man be in... Okay, so here's what you get. He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. When you get in Christ... That old man, that old nature, that sinful condemnation that keeps plaguing you and that guilt and that shame and that inability to do right, that has to leave because you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. That's what you get when you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. I like it. And the first, I, I, there's other verses I may read, but that first verse says it all. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Listen to me right now. The devil, and it started all the way back in the garden, the devil is the master of the guilt trip, the master of the condemnation, the master of making you hang your head and say, I don't deserve his mercy, but if you will get in Christ and let Christ get in you, you can hold your head up high and say, no longer does Satan have his guilt on me. No longer does Satan have his hands on me. I'm in Christ and Christ is in me and there is now no more condemnation. There is a big difference between condemnation and conviction. Conviction will lead you to change. Conviction will lead you to do something about it. That's why you can come to church, and I watch it, and I am appreciative of it, and it happens to me. This is what conviction is. Conviction will bring you into a church service, and we'll sing songs like the blood, and tears will start rolling down your face, and you'll begin to lift up hands. That's conviction. Condemnation will cause you to run and hide and never seek the light of Jesus Christ. You'll get no more condemnation. Let me preach a quick message. Uh, this is kind of one of the messages in a message. And it came out of a commentary I was reading on Romans chapter 8. And so I'm just going to give you, I don't. it really needs to be its own message uh, all by itself. But I just like what it says. The therefore there is no more condemnation, this is what it means. It doesn't mean that there's no more mistakes. It doesn't mean that you won't ever fail. It, it even doesn't mean there's no more sin. All of those might happen. But you have a God that is able to forgive and able to cleanse and able to restore. But let me tell you what it is. The law condemns you. We, we preached about this uh, last Sunday. The law condemns. But here's what happens when you get in Christ. Number one, the law can't claim you. You know why I know this? Because the second verse of that says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had made me free from the law of sin and death. The, the law used to say, Brandon Buford, you're a sinner. You've, you've come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. You don't have anything good in you. You're a dirty, old, rotten sinner, and you deserve to go to hell. That's what the law says. But grace comes in. 
Jesus comes in and he says, you know what, law? That's exactly right. But there is something that can trump the law. And that is the grace can step in. And Jesus took my place. And Jesus died for my sin. And because of that, he says, I'm going to free you from the grip of the law. And that death penalty no longer matters anymore to you. The law can't claim you when you are in Christ. The second thing that commentator said, and I like it because he, he, he speaks my language. I like three points. He says the second thing is, verse 3, let's read it. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. Sin condemned me. As much as I was on a trial with a jury of my peers, sin condemned me. Sin pointed its finger at me and said, Brandon, because you have sinned, you don't deserve anything. I was guilty. But when you are in Christ and Christ is in you, the law can no longer condemn you anymore. How many of you have heard of this law in the United States? Not every, every other country has it, but it's the law of double jeopardy. Anybody ever heard that? Anybody know what that means, Grant? What does that mean? What does the law of double jeopardy mean? Come on, anybody know? What does it mean? You can't be tried for the same uh, 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 crime, but in, for our, our case, you can't be tried for the same crime, uh, sin, twice. All right? Watch this. This is what happens when you're in Christ and Christ is in you. I was a sinner. Now, this, there, there's a lot of sin I've done, and I don't glory in that, but let's just say one. I lied. I lied, Brother uh, Cozart. Bible says all liars have their place in the lake of fire. Bible says thou shalt not lie. My goodness, you can't even find a better way around that. It's, it's as simple as can be. Don't lie. But I lied. Bible says the wages of sin is death. I had, I, if you only tell one lie in your life, you're destined to sin. Uh, you're destined to die uh, a spiritual death and end up in hell. Only one lie. So I was, I was gone. I was done. If you would have looked in the, in the book there in heaven, it would have had Brandon Buford is a liar. But Jesus went to that cross. And the Bible says he bore all of my sin. And he took my sin and he took your sin and he nailed it to the cross. Let me just put this as simply as I can. Jesus Christ took my place. Brother Sponsor, when Jesus died on that cross, he looked at the law and he looked at all of the things that were there and he said, I'm going to take Brandon Buford's place. I'm going to take the sin of lying and I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer the consequence. I'm going to suffer the, the, the penalty and Jesus died because I should have. Does that make sense? The law of double jeopardy says you can't be tried twice. So Satan rears his ugly head and he says, Hey, Brandon, you're a liar. Liars go to hell. You're not going to make it. And all I have to say is, oh, no, no. That price was paid. You can't condemn me anymore. You can't hold that over my head anymore. The law cannot condemn me when I am in Christ. Since Jesus paid the penalty for my sin, I'm in Christ. There's no more condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Verse 4. 
and the, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. If the law can't claim you, if the law can't condemn you, the third thing that the law can't do is the law cannot control you. Here's what the law says. The law reveals sin. The law condemns sin. The law tells us we failed. The law tells us we've come short of the glory of God. But when we are in Christ, the power of his spirit in us, it causes us to walk holy. Romans 8.2 says we have life and liberty. Romans 8.4 says we have the pursuit of happiness if you want to use some, some American history and, and, and articles of independence. The law can't control me any longer. The legalist, the one who only tries to live to the law, it, it tries to obey God in his own strength. But the Bible says that our own righteousness is like filthy rags. It's not holy, it's dirty. But when you let Jesus leave you, that sanctifying work of the Spirit in your life, Philippians 2.13 says this, For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do good, do of his good pleasure when you're in Christ Christ will work in you and the law can't control you any longer that's my mini sermon in a sermon here's something else you get when you have Christ 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19 if in this life only we have hope in Christ we are of all men most miserable but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since man, for since by man came death, by man shall also come the resurrection of the dead. For if we for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Let me tell you what you get when you're in Christ and Christ is in you. You get an eternity in heaven. No more spiritual death. No more torment. Hell doesn't no longer have to lick up and, 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 and keep tormenting you, but you have a hope not only in this. We've been talking, the, the last one, we talked about what we get here in this world. We get freedom from the law. We get freedom from condemnation. We get a, a way to live right. But it's not only in this world. We get a hope of eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 says, And he that established us with you in Christ, he hath also sealed us and give us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. There is a sealing and there is an establishment that happens when you are in Christ. I like this one, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. It seems like we might have sung this tonight. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Come on, help me out. Don't, don't, don't give up on me yet. It causes us to triumph when we are in. Nope, you don't, still don't got it. Somebody quit walking your phone and pay attention to me for a minute. Here's how it is. If you want to triumph, you're not going to triumph on your own spirit. You're not going to triumph because you're a good person. You're not going to triumph because you've got a lot of discipline in your life. You're not going to triumph because you're strong. The only way you will ever triumph is if you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And that triumph takes one more step forward for the Bible says this in Galatians 2 and 4. Any of the Bible quizzers know Galatians 2 and 4 yet? Have you learned it? We've got some incredible young ladies that are Bible quizzing. 
All right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start it, and I want you all to say it with me. That because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus that they might bring us unto bondage in whom we give place by subjection no not for an hour that the truth of the gospel may uh, continue with you there's one little phrase in there I want you to see it says there were some that were looking and spying the liberty we have in Jesus I'm free I'm free and oh, what a liberty it is. No more bondage. No more chains. No more doubt. No more fear. No more anxiety. I am free in Christ Jesus. I'm in Christ, and Christ is in me. Now, Pastor, that's a good Bible study. Let's take it home a little bit. I, I kind of quoted this earlier, but let me give you the Bible in verse so you can remember it. Romans chapter 6. You can read that whole chapter, but chapter 6 Verse 3, know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ. I'm just trying to tell you how you get in Christ and then what happens when Christ gets in you. Because we're, 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 we're talking about it all in the, the context of being grafted into the trunk. I'm in Christ and because of that, Christ flows in me. Another way to look at this, and, and pulling a little bit out of that analogy, is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all of the members are of one body, being many are one body, which is also Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and we've all been made to drink one spirit, and the body is not one member, one member but many how many of you got two hands today man I feel sorry for the rest of y'all so sad I wish you'd have told me that you'd have lost your hands this week I would have come to the hospital and prayed with you but our body is made up of many members we have hands we have feet ears nose all the different symptoms all the different systems of the body. Some of you have symptoms, but all the different systems of the body. And all of them work together, but all of them are working with the same flow in them. You can't separate the hand. The hand can't do what the brain doesn't tell it to do. The feet cannot walk where the body doesn't want it to walk. We're all together, and there's an incredible uh, uh, sermon in that, but I'm just trying to show you that there is a connection. Look at your neighbor and say, connected. Here's the thing. Are you connected to God? I want to be connected because I've realized that if I was to take my hand and sever my hand and lay it on the ground, after I get done screaming and crying, my hand is no longer connected and that hand can't do anything. It's going to lie there lifeless and, and it, it, it's going to pretty soon turn blue and gray and it's going to decompose and, and, it, and it's going to smell and it's going to be putrid and pretty soon if you leave it there long enough, the ants will get to it and there'll be nothing left but bones and even those will disappear. Why? Because it wasn't connected. But as long as my hand is connected, there's things that that hand can do that cannot do by itself. Are you connected? That's what I'm getting at. Are you in Christ? And is Christ in you? 
to be disconnected from God is an awful thing. And sin is the easiest way to get get disconnected. In the Garden of Eden, they walked with God. They were, they, they were, they were in paradise. They were in gl- beautiful and glory, and it was incredible. But the moment that they responded to that temptation and they sinned, they were cut off from God. And I'm trying to give you word pictures. I'm, I want you to see it. Adam and Eve were like a hand that had been cut off and was laying down there. They had no life-giving force. They were not connected. Now, I want to be saved, and I believe that, but can I tell you that God wants to do more than just save you today? God wants you to be in him. That's the salvation, but he wants to be in you. That's the work that he can do with you because you are connected. See, here's the problem with Samson. As long as Samson was connected, he could do incredible feats of strength. Now, his connection came to obeying a Nazarite vow vow that, that, that... the, the angel told his mother and dad that Samson was not to drink anything of the vine. That, that's no, no grape juice, no wine. He, he was not to, 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 to do things with his body and, 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 and be promiscuous. He was, he was not to uh, cut his hair. His hair was supposed to go long. It was all part of a Nazarite vow. But the moment that he cut his hair, and of course that was a vow, was the moment that he was disconnected from God's power. And he tried to shake himself when old Delilah had shaved and bald and there was no power there. He, he, he still was the same stature. He still looked the same except he was bald. But he had gotten disconnected. Can I tell you today, the worst thing in your life you could ever do is A, never get connected or B, get disconnected. And if you come to church and you're not feeling anything and if you come to church and nothing moves you and you walk through life and there's no connection, then you are in a bad spot and you need to start saying graft me back in connect me back in I want to be in Christ and I want Christ in me to be connected I read a story I'm there are some incredible things and and, and I'm I'm afraid that sometimes as we as, as the life and the journey goes forward we, we become desensitized to what God has done. I, I got a, a phone call as I drove to church tonight. A great friend of mine, an elder, but a great friend of mine uh, that, that if you've been around me and you, we've talked a little bit, I, he, he was a, a, a true Cajun and he passed away of cancer uh, this morning. And, and he's the one I went shrimping with. Brother Kozart's been with me uh, on his shrimp boats and, and fishing with him. And, and there, there are stories I'm going to miss of Brother Connie Babb. And, and, and just listening to that old Cajun brogue go forth. And he could tell a story like nobody else. Any of you that are uh, uh, old enough to remember uh, Justin, um, the, the old Cajun chef, Wilson, the old Cajun chef and the way he could tell a story. That's how Connie Babb was. But in my life, I've got some other heroes, some missionaries that, that did things that, that uh, my, my, my aunt and uncle, Loretta and, and great aunt and uncle, Loretta and Tony Bernard, they went to Korea uh, way back then and they began to do a work in Korea where you couldn't get 
Skype and you couldn't get Facebook and she didn't even know her, her sister had died until about three months later because that's how long information took to get to the other side of the world. And I've watched people that have done incredible things and what I'm beginning to realize is that if you'll get connected to God, God can do things that nobody else ever dreamed possible. And I miss those voices. There's a, a lady, her name is Nona. Freeman, those that are of our music department, you heard me read this about a month or so ago, but it's just been here, and I want to read it to you. I want to tell you a story. Her name is Nona Freeman. She and her husband, I don't know if this was his real name, but everything that she would talk about, it was Bug. They were missionaries to Africa. And in that, she tells this story, and I'm going to do my best just to read her story. It's a little lengthy, but I want you to connect it. I want you, I want you to hear what she has to say because it's about being connected. She said in 1952, we were camping in a makeshift quarters as we built our home in South Africa. She said during an invasion, now, now Brother Perryman, just close your ears for this part. I don't want you to have nightmares. But She said in a, during an invasion of non-poisonous spiders the size of our fist, <laughs> we became so weary of getting up at night to identify what was crawling across my arm or crawling across my face that we bought the older children a small flashlight so they could do their own checking instead of waking us up at night. She said one night a brilliant light nudged her out of a sound sleep and she thought it was a spider hunter maybe that needed some help. But she opened her eyes to see a being clothed in exquisite light standing by her bed. Would you let me change to her her tense? I trembled, immobilized by fear. Do not be afraid, a soft yet vibrant voice answered my distress. I'm a messenger sent by God to give you the secret of revival. Disturbed by her ineffectual outreach to the lost, my husband and I had shared a time of prayer and fasting that had ended in that November. He had left the next day to Eastern Transvaal to start a new church, and I took charge of the service in the current tent meeting in an area called Claremont. Again, this is the words of Nona Freeman. That heavenly visitor came the following moment at 3 a.m., and he said, I am your response to the cry for a Pentecostal outpouring. The angel unrolled a large parchment scroll before me containing the words of Jesus in John chapter 7 and verse 38. He that believeth in me, as the scriptures hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. That tremendous scripture before me did not prevent the intrusion of a carnal thought. How many times have we used that text? But then an unspoken chill of rebuke swept away my smug satisfaction and my heart whispered, forgive my ignorance. The angel continued sternly, look at the scroll. And so I looked carefully and saw one word become prominent. The word flow. It appeared to be set with scintillating diamonds, sparkling, beautiful. The angel said, last night at that service there in the tent, you sang of mercy drops and showers of blessings. The angel's voice became gentle as he said, You've preached about drawing water out of wells of salvation with joy. You know, but you do not comprehend the limitless scope of the gift of God. That Jesus wants to deluge you and this thirsty world with rivers of his Holy Ghost power. The will of God is not mercy drops or showers or even buckets full of blessings, but it's the torrential rivers of his Spirit constantly flowing 
through you. Now I want you to listen closely because this was written in 1952. But how apt it is today in 2017. The angel looked at Nona Freeman there and said, You've depended on conducive arrangements, the right atmosphere, your eloquence, your experiences, and human understanding to mellow the hearts and make them receptive to the gospel. You've worked long and hard to set the stage and bring the service to a point that you consider ready for the preaching of the word all within your own strength, and you're disappointed by the results. But if you could only understand, it's not what you can do, but it's what He will do if you will allow His Spirit to flow. He is looking for empty vessels, empty canals, empty pipes. If you please, He can pour Himself through them with no obstruction. That's His plan. The angel said, the Spirit of God is not visible, but I want to show it. I want to make it visible, so I want you to see His Spirit as a rainbow colored light so you can comprehend its operation angel said I, I want to I'm going to kind of show you how the spirit moves and you're going to see it as rainbow light none of us are going to see rainbow light okay this was just what happened then. he said suddenly a church service appeared before Nona the preacher spoke with great emphasis one hand uplifted the other held the open Bible and I heard encouraging amens and hallelujahs from the congregation and the question came from the angel do you feel the dead formality and then I saw God's hand sweep it all away it looked and sounded real I thought yet something was lacking people or then another service took its place the preacher gave the same message with the identical posture, the identical gestures, but there was a difference. A Victoria waterfall of dazzling light with colors of the rainbow flowed into him and flowed from his mouth and his fingertips with each word and each motion. And I watched that glorious phenomenon spread all over the church. People either sat quietly or worshipped in graceful sincerity while the uniquely lovely flow swept through them to fill the church with the glory of God. I welcomed the noticed absence of a cheering squad spirit. An arrogant man came walking in and sat by a smiling older couple. Without any awareness, the spirit poured through those gracious saints, swirled around him, dissolving his sneer and his composure. Pretty soon, he pretended to cough as an excuse to reach for his handkerchief. And he began to wipe tears from his cheek. Forgetting his aversion to prayer, he leapt to his feet with a terrible cry. I'm lost. My God, have mercy on me. He fell sobbing to the floor, stretched full length in the aisle. That grayed hair pair knelt beside him and rejoiced as God took a newly surrendered heart. The angel enabled me to see both inside the church and the surrounding areas at the same time. I watched the incredible, lovely, amazing beauty of worship. No twisted faces or wild body contortions. Just the ineffable, lovely spirit streaming through the worshipers and billowing over the whole neighborhood. I'm used as this holy influence spreads. Heart will be softened and lives changed without the blessed, even knowing how it came about. I have long known that an evil presence can fill a house or town through possessed people or but now I wondered why I had not realized that God's Spirit can work the same way through yielded lives. A woman wearing shabby house shoes and an apron tied over a shapeless dress, coming from the corner store, ambled down the sidewalk 
across the street from the church, a loaf of bread in one hand, a cigarette in the other. The congregation sang a mellow old song, and that sweet sound flowed out of rainbow-hued clouds surrounding, or flowed out from the church in rainbow-hued clouds and surrounded the woman. She stopped, stood staring for a few moments, dropped the bread and the cigarette and buried her face, weeping, I'm a sinner, I need God. Without consultation or an audible order, two women came from opposite sides of the church, directed to a soul in need. They prayed with her, and moments later, they led her into the church. And while she glorified God speaking in other tongues, I witnessed as the Spirit changed life, and my soul cried a silent question, What prevents the flow in me? The answer came gently. It's the guise of spirituality. A mere profession of salvation or empty vanities without the flow of the Spirit. And then she, she wrote this list. These are what blocks it. Grumbling and complaining and unbelief and disobedience, rebellion, jealousy, selfishness, covetousness, fear, bitterness, hatred, lust, temper, impatience, pride, stubbornness, malice, greed, anxiety, judging and criticism. These are the evils that will block the flow of the Spirit when you with you. And when the flow stops, you usually fall back on your own resources and you make do instead of cleaning out the obstructions. And she goes on to say this, whatever it takes, keep the Spirit flowing. When the Spirit whispers the word flow, that's a signal that you must share what I've shown to you. Wherever you go, encourage God's people to get in the flow. The value of receiving the Holy Ghost can be lost unless it's allowed to flow. And with that last vibrant get in the flow, my guest left. The light faded, though a translucent glow lingered for some time, and I lay motionless till dawn, humbly thanking God for His incomparable mercy. And my heart cry that night long ago is still with her now. I want the flow. I've woven two stories today, or two things. I've given you the Bible as strong as I know how to give it to tell you that you can be in Christ and Christ can flow through you. And I've meshed that with the voice of an elder that knew what it was like to be in a church service and say, I'm in Christ, but Christ is in me. Christ wants to touch each and every one of you right now. He wants to use you. The reason he, he, he grafted you into that vine was to give you strength and to let you be fruitful. Flow. Flow. You never know. Sometimes it might be you that picks up a wild olive branch that's dying on the ground. Lead them to an altar and let God graft that person into the vine, to the branch, or into the trunk. And that branch lives. Flow. See, today, I want you to be saved. More than anything, I want you to be saved. Brother Harvey, there's times I'll be driving and my heart will begin to weep because of those that are unsaved. I want you to be saved. I want you to be saved. I want you to be in Christ. I want to put you down in the waters of baptism. I want to see you filled with the Spirit. I want to see you repent. I want you to be saved. The longer I live, the more this becomes a driving force in me. Not only do I want to be in God but I want God to be in me. And 
Lord, I want you to flow through me. I want that spirit. I want that. And, and again, I, I'm, I'm using the metaphors. I want that sap. I want that life-giving nourishment. I want to draw, draw from those wells of salvation. Flow through me, oh God. I want to be in Christ and Christ in me. Would you stand today across this building? Hallelujah. 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 So I ask you today a couple questions. And then I'm going to invite you from the front to the back, every person here. I'm going to invite you just to take a step out of your altar. There's nothing special about that. I just like together as a church family around this front. And if we all come, it makes it much easier. Are you in Christ? That's the first question. If you're not in Christ, then you don't have that new life. If you're not in Christ, you aren't a new creature in Christ Jesus. If you've never repented of your sins, if you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, for remember that Bible says that you are baptized into Jesus Christ. That's how you are grafted in. If you've never been filled with the Spirit, then today you need to get in Christ. And tonight would be a perfect moment for you to surrender your life and let God pick your dead branch up and put it into Him. But if you're here today and you've been saved, you are grafted, you are connected, then I would tell you, you need to let Him be in you. Let the fullness of God be in you. Let Him give you new life. Let Him give you purpose. Let Him make you fruitful. Let Him flow through you. Would you come? Would you come right now? I encourage you, would you step out and would you let the presence of God begin to minister to you right now?